Hey, uh, so today I am interviewing Oliver from frugalista.ge. We're going to focus on, well, obviously, as the website name says, being frugal, where it all comes, which the pros and cons have a bit of a discussion on that. Um, Oliver is going to throw in tons of nice examples, practical approaches, kind of like life hacks, and also like a lot of like life philosophy of, you know, how can it help you? Um, where does it matter? And kind of like also unravel where is frugalism about, and not necessarily about yeah, like skipping your lattes, but actually about the value for life. And having uh, that train of thought and together diving into that is hopefully going to be of value. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Welcome to the Financial Independence Europe podcast, where we interview people from all 44 European countries, all of them, about optimizing your life, you arbitrage and making the most of your money. This was your hosts, Alvar, Erminta and Matthias. Hello, welcome everybody. Welcome back again to another episode of the Financial Independence Europe podcast. So today we're actually going to do something pretty awesome. And I know I always keep saying in every introduction, we're going to do something pretty awesome. But I mean, I find it awesome and I'm excited anyway. So today I'm going to interview Oliver from the frugalista.de. Uh, um, hi, Oliver. Hi, Alva. Nice talking to you today. Awesome. And why am I so excited about this? Because in the past, we have um, dedicated a lot of time uh, to actually talking, you know, focusing more like the investment side, the side hustles, the grinding, how to make more money, invest, be efficient, etc. Which are all really, you know, amazing topics from like a strategic perspective. But today we want to focus more on kind of like the frugal mindset, the frugal way of living and kind of like everything that comes with it. And not just like, okay, hey, I, I buy a latte and, you know, I skip it and I save money to it, but like really kind of like get into the details and Oliver hopefully can enlighten us with his knowledge. But anyway, before I keep rambling on, Oliver, could you introduce yourself a bit to the audience? Tell us about yourself um, and go from there. Yeah, sure. So as you've already said, my name's Oliver. I'm 30 years old. I work as a software developer and currently I live in Hanover, Germany. Uh, I have a girlfriend and uh, a four-month-old daughter. We live together here in a nice and cozy flat. And I'm probably well-known in the FI community for my blog, frugalisten.de, which is, I guess, like the largest uh, FI blog in Germany at the moment. I've been writing the blog since 2015, and um, on that blog, I'm documenting my way to FI. I aim to be FI before my 40th birthday, um, and I write about, um, yeah, like saving tips or um, like saving philosophy, frugality, um, how to save money cleverly, about investing in ETFs, um, and about my life and my struggle <laughs> to uh, save money and to live the most happy and proper life I can live. Nice one. And can you also go back a little bit? Like, when did you actually discover financial independence or kind of like, was it from like, you know, after age of age, you already discovered this is my way to go? Or like, you know, when did you, when were you inspired to get started with this? Well, it started in 2013 when I lived in Bremen. I studied there at the university and I moved out of the student's dormitory and into a flat chair with a friend of mine. And he had been reading Mr. Money Mustache before, and he was totally hooked on the FI track. And he was talking about Mr. Money Mustache literally all day. And um, so I moved in with him, and he kept on talking about Triple M. And at first, I was really thinking that this whole early retirement thing is like a big scam, like 
you know, you can't retire by 30. It's probably, you know, just some American motivation guru trying to sell his books uh, and he actually won the lottery or, you know, I thought it's, it's just a big nonsense. And then after like two weeks of constantly being exposed to him talking about Mr. Money Mustache, I actually looked on the blog just out of curiosity and I read the first article and I was like, oh my God, this is no... This is not nonsense. This is exactly the thing I need to do in my life. So I was super convinced and I started um, tracking my expenses and saving money, you know, more purposefully rather than just, you know, taking a look what is left at the end of the month. And I learned about investing. I had no clue about stocks or investing whatsoever by the time. So I read about, you know, index funds and how I can invest my money properly. And uh, yeah, then when I started my first job in 2015 in the UK, I saved like 70% of my income right away and started, started saving quite massively. Nice one. When you said American guru investment, blah, 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 dude, I, I muted myself. But <laughs> I was effectively like laughing the whole time in the sense, you know, it, it is so kind of like stereotypical of, you know, we find out it's kind of like, I mean, the Americans, they kind of discovered first to that crazy kind of commercial lifestyle and spending way too much money. And then we kind of, okay, what the heck are you guys talking about? But then actually, hey, there is some logic behind it and it kind of makes sense. I always love it kind of, you know, when people kind of like get into it like that. And one thing I wanted to ask, I read on your blog, as a student, you were literally living on a couple hundred euro a month. How did you do that? Well, yeah, as a student, I, as I said, I lived in the flat chair. So my rent was about 300 euros per month, including internet and all bills. And, you know, all my friends were students as well who normally don't have that much money. So we never, literally never went to restaurants or eating out because nobody did that as a student. You know, we, we just bought a crate of beer and then went, went on a party. That was um, how our evenings were, uh, were designed or, you know, were happening. Um, so it was very easy to, to save money as a student because your social environment was not spendy at all. And I didn't have any... You know, I didn't have a car. Um, I had a, a train ticket from my university for free. I mean, it was included in the semester fees, so I didn't have that many travel expenses either. Yeah, it was was pretty easy. When I started working, um, I didn't change that much. I continued living in a flat chair with my girlfriend, uh, even though we moved to the UK in 2015, where rents are pretty high. Um, I think you can... <laughs> Uh, I think you uh, can tell stories about it. Uh, <laughs> yep. um, so we decided, okay, maybe we try, because I moved there, I didn't have a job, she was still a student, and we decided to share a room in a flat share, um, try the experiment, um, to save some rent, and because we, we found in the flat share it's, it's much easier if you're in a foreign country anyway, to get to know more new people and um, to you know, find new social contacts in a new place. Um, and so we did that and we spent even less money than I spent in Germany for, for, for the rent. Like, I think our first room was 360 pounds. Um, so like hundred, two, about 200 euros per person for rent. So, you know, I tried to continue the, the student's lifestyle when I, when I was uh, working. Of course, my like, uh, restaurant expenses or expenses for holidays, they really went up in the last three or four years. Because obviously, well, not obviously, but um, this is what I noticed. Like, you know, your social environment changes a bit. There are more people working, people have more money. So you 
go on more holidays, you go on a few more restaurant visits. So my expenses did go up, but not that dramatically. But yeah. Does it like not uh, annoy you? Like I've had it really over the last years. You know, I started working, getting actual decent wage, and as a student, I lived on three hundred fifty to four hundred euro. Um, oh, that's uh, very little. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a, a month in a ne- which back in the Netherlands is just idiotic to live on. Netherlands is like, I mean, probably like twenty percent more expensive than Germany on average, depending on city. But like, let's consider it idiotic to live on that kind of money. But kind of like if I compare that versus what I spend now and kind of like how my lifestyle changed. I, I genuinely struggled with like spending money on restaurants and like sometimes like staring like, oh, I don't want to spend 12 pounds on this, but honest answer, probably girlfriend and kind of, you know, friends and she said social environment and kind of like through that got more used to it. So like, but I, I always will have this genuine, natural, intrinsic feeling sometimes uh, like ah uh, why <laughs> or after a while when you've spent a ton of money it's just like oh, i don't want to have you had similar experiences well not really because i first of all i don't have a budget so i don't have a fixed amount of money i want to spend in my head but of course you know you have this gut feeling about you know this is very expensive and this is a crazy this is crazy spending and this is rather frugal spending this is okay um but i take a look like how much quality of life do I get out of my spending? So if I spend a nice weekend with my best friends, um, even though I might spend a little bit more money, it, it might still be worth it. Um, so I just track my expenses and I take a look, you know, at the end of the year or after a couple of months, um, was this amount of spending worth it? So how much, how much happiness, how much quality of life did I get out of my spending? And if it's okay in terms of, you know, I might have spent like a couple hundred euros here and there, but still I had a great time and I spent time with my friends and we, you know, the restaurant visit was not just a restaurant visit because we were just too lazy to cook, but it was a restaurant visit because we deliberately spent time together uh, and had nice food and enjoyed it. And that's totally okay. And then I don't regret it either. Just one thing I would really like to also ask in between before we go on kind of with the lifestyle in terms of Investing. I mean, I know Germany is notorious for taxing um, ETFs and dividends at quite um, hefty rates. Like, how have you organized that yourself? Do you have a certain setup for that? Well, I have set up an ETF portfolio, which consists of six ETFs, mainly stock ETFs, but um, also a bond ETF, a commodity ETF, and a REIT ETF. And I, I'm kind of like, you know, this super passive um, investor who tries to minimize the amount of time I have to put into my portfolio. So I set it up like early 2016, I think, my current portfolio. And then, you know, every time I have some money left over, I just put it in there and that's it. And I don't do that much except for maybe like yearly review where I see like, you know, sometimes ETFs change their structure or they change their their, um, taxation. And then maybe I have to swap one or the other ETF. But apart from that, I, you know, I don't do much or I don't, I try to not to put in that much time into um, managing my portfolio. No, fair call. Um, I mean, that's obviously different for everybody, but if you've chosen your ETFs well in the beginning and they do the job for you, and it sounds like in terms of what you've chosen, you're well diversified and they're passive. They either reinvest themselves or you just reinvest them and you only go from there and they do the job. Why spend more time? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I think that my time is more valuable in, 
you know, in my life so I can, you know, for example, write blog articles or spend time with my family and friends rather than sitting even more hours in front of the computer. You know, as a software developer, I spend a lot of time in front of the screen anyway. So, you know, I don't want to spend more time like you know, analyzing stocks or uh, reading upon uh, balance sheets of companies and stuff like that. Or, you know, trying to figure out how I can save 0.01% in fees on the next ETF or something like that. So, yeah, I try to um, maintain a good return on time invested regarding the investment. Fair enough. Focus on the bigger picture and on quality over 0.1 or whatever more. Cool. Like that one. And so you said you expect to reach five by 40. And that's just literally this, right? Uh, piling money into the EDFs whenever there's something left. Live like this, live a good life. And that, that's enough to reach it by 40. Yeah, you know, it's, it's not so much like a, a strict plan I try to follow. So, you know, I, I try I try to arrange my life. I, I don't try to arrange my life in a way um, that I reach that goal. But it's more like a, a goal um, that... I see as a challenge. So if I if I don't make it by 40, it's no big deal. Um, then maybe I make it by 43, 44. Uh, it doesn't matter so much. It's more like a, a goal that uh, is meant to motivate me on the way. Which is soft target. Exactly, yes. A soft target is a good term. Um, and the question might be, how did I come up with 40? So when I was still a student, I started on my FI journey. I just uh, opened up an Excel sheet and I tried to think of, okay, when I start working as a software developer, how much is the average salary? And how much is the average increase in salary over time when you get more experienced? So I created a column in that Excel sheet, uh, income, and I started with a typical starter salary as a software developer. And um, after 10 years, I inserted a, a salary like for somebody with 10 years experience. And between that, I just interpolated the salary. And then I did the second column with my expenses. And I started with my current expenses at the time, which was about 800 euros uh, per month. And I thought, okay, maybe in 10 years, I'll have a family, I'll have kids. So my expenses will probably um, be higher than now. So I doubled the expenses and put in that number um, in, the, you know, in, the, in the cell after 10 years. And then also interpolated between the two, so I had a you know an estimate of my uh, expenses and my income over the next ten years, and that gave me uh, a savings rate, an estimated savings rate, and an estimated FI number or FI date, which was uh, around my fortieth birthday. And I was like, okay, this is actually manageable. This is a realistic goal. Um, so I picked that as a as a goal, and now. Um, you know, it kind of backfired a little bit for me because now, you know, I put it on my blog as well. I want to retire by 40. And then, you know, the press and podcasts and interviews, they, they pick it up. And then it's kind of you know, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's something people now expect from me. Self-fulfilling prophecy. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah but, but in the end, you know, maybe it also forces you in some kind of balance because you know what you value. But at the same time, you know, it, it is kind of like the soft target. Okay, this will, you know, kind of get there in the end. And if it balances each other out in the end, and, you know, 
if it's 43, so be it. Um, you know, and then yet, if you reach 40 and you haven't made it yet, you can just be like, the, the 10 reasons why it's better not uh, to reach five, uh, 40, but 44 and what I've learned or whatever. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. And also I'm trying to go for like a lean fire approach very much because um, I think I will still earn money in some way after FI. Um, so if the money is enough to cover, you know, my my basic living expenses, it'd probably be fine to to quit my day job and then retire. What do you consider lean fire? And not necessarily, I mean, also number wise, but maybe more like kind of like lifestyle. Like how would your life look like being lean fire? Oh, I think of lean fire as an idea that I I have enough money to cover, you know, like my rent and my my basic living expenses without any luxuries. So it's not enough money to go on, you know, exotic holidays three times a year or, you know, buy the latest tech gadget every year. Um, but it'll be enough, you know, that I can pay my rent, I can buy my food without worrying about money. And then if I want any more luxury spending, I can decide, you know, do I want the luxuries or do I want more spare, more spare time? Because if I want the luxuries, I still maybe need to work a little bit for it. You know, it also depends a lot on the stock market and how your investments perform, um, how much you can withdraw from your portfolio. But I want to be financially dependent rather earlier than later and maybe, you know, uh, facing the need of generating a little bit of side income here and there to, you know, buy more expensive things or maybe yeah, ramp up my lifestyle a little bit. But as a software developer, it's quite easy. I'm working as a freelancer anyway. Um, part-time as a moment so um, it's very nice if you can you know if you have projects that you can work on that are scalable in terms of how much time you put in and as a software developer the hourly pay is also very good so I wouldn't probably wouldn't have to work that much in order to generate a few hundred euros more income so that's the reason why I'm you know I'm not aiming to retire in terms of I will never ever work anything at all anymore and just travel the world and you know don't do anything anymore uh, rather than yeah being open to new ideas and maybe working on a project here and there that i like and where i like the customer um and that i'm interested in and where i'm learning new things so that's why i'm still expecting to earn money after fi in some way but yeah fair enough and can you potentially also put some numbers on there in terms of you know kind of what you consider if i like for myself i've kind of set a goal okay I roughly want to get to three, four hundred k, and a paid-off house. Are actually not necessarily paid-off. Uh, a house where the mortgage rate on is extremely low and easy to cover. I'm also happy with that, and enough cash flow out of side hustle slash portfolio slash whatever it's running at the moment to just cover the basics. And one quick note: I do really like when you say, you know, I just want to cover my essentials. And if I truly want some luxury, then I'll work for it. And probably when you have to work hard for that actual holiday, you will value that much more. Yeah, I'm pretty much in the same range as you. Um, so 300k would be a number where I probably can cover all my, my essentials, all my basic expenses. 400k would be a little bit more uh, comfortable, I think. So at the moment, I'm aiming for 400k around 40. So that's my, that's my FI, FI number without a paid off house. So, um, you know, in Germany, renting is more, is more a thing than in the UK. Um, so I don't have plans to buy a house at the moment. Um, so I think we continue renting. 
I've heard God, one of the nice things about Germany actually getting decent uh, child support and, yes. be- <laughs> and being able to rent a nice place for five, six hundred. And uh, actually, let's be fair. I live in one of the most expensive rent cities of the UK. I pay together with girlfriends 800 a month. So pounds like 850 euros and divided by two, 425 per person. That is for an apartment in the city center is not bad when the average is probably more like 1200 it's probably you probably hear those numbers and you're like okay that's still like one and a half times for what i pay and i got like a larger space and probably better quality as well uh, because the houses are far newer but anyway um it is notoriously expensive to rent here but to kind of also like uh pivot from there into kind of like you know the frugal discussion because your blog is called the frugal listen what has been like the inspiration for the name and like what do you kind of like consider what does frugal mean to you we've kind of touched on that a little bit but i would have just kind of like uh, like to go back to the basics on that what does it mean to you yeah well regarding the name i just try to find a you know a short name that nobody has any any stereotype connected to it so I didn't want to call my blog like you know early retirement, something like that, or financial dependence, because many people might think of retirement, you know, somebody sitting in a wheelchair and he can't work anymore. Um, so I took the, the English word frugalists, which is what frugalisten means in German, and just translated it because frugal or frugalist is not so, it's, it's not a word many people know in Germany. So it's it's something new which doesn't have um, a meaning connected to it already. What does frugal in its pure essence mean? Because lots of people are like, oh, well, I'll just focus on the big tree, earn 100k and I'm done. And kind of just purely focus on that. But like, what does frugal mean like in its essence? And kind of like, how can people help in their life? And just kind of your thoughts on that. Well, to me, frugality is like a philosophy of life, which aims to, um, first of all, be more aware what goes on in your life. In terms of money, of course, so being aware where your money goes, what you what you get for your spendings, but also in other areas of life that are important to your happiness. So like, you know, health, uh, social contacts, social relationships, um, you know, pretty much everything you do in your life, you, you know, part of that philosophy is being being more aware of what you do and being more reflective about what you do. Secondly, it's about being more effective in your life to getting more quality of life, more happiness out of the money you spend, out of the time you invest. I think it's it's a tool or frugality is for me a tool or a way of life aiming to create the best possible life I could I could live. Gotcha. And say I'm a listener and you know I've got a normal salary, but I'm kind of like I want to be frugal, but I've got all those random habits like buying myself a latte for three euro or whatever every day at the station. And you know a car and just a bunch of like random things in my life kind of like that have slipped into it and i just like ah why um how can i like kind of from that situation uh move into like a more focused slash lean uh spending approach where i focus on value instead of just buying random stuff i think the most important thing is to do it the right way around so rather than I, th- I think what you shouldn't do is trying to be frugal in order to save money because then you will always feel deprived. You know, you, you don't buy the nice car you want to have. You don't buy the nice uh, restaurant visit you, you actually want to have because you want to save money. So you always feel unhappy, deprived. Um, 
I think you should do it the other way around. You should live frugal or try to live frugally because you want to live a better life. And then saving money is more of like a, a result or a side effect of that. So it's not so much about changing your spending habits rather than changing your, your attitude or your, the way you, you see life. And I think the most important thing is to accept that happiness doesn't come from buying products or buying uh, services or spending money, if you want. But um, happiness comes from what you do and how you think. And if you focus more on your thinking and your, your activities and be more aware and try to you know, see what really makes you happy and how you can create um, quality of life, you probably quickly notice that quality of life comes more from being active um, rather than consuming. So eventually you kind of transform into a, a frugalist um, and then you find yourself not wanting the new car and you know not caring about the restaurant visit anymore. And then it doesn't feel like deprivation if you don't go to the restaurant, if you don't buy the car because you don't, you don't feel needing it anymore. And then being frugal becomes like a natural thing, a natural attitude. But of course, it's, it's difficult. You know, you can't say, okay, from now on, I change my attitude towards life and I try to live more active. It's certainly a step-by-step -step, um, program you have to go through or, you know, a step-by-step -step transformation you have to go through. And, you know, the, the biggest or the most important thing is like convincing yourself that passive consumption doesn't make you happy And it's even bad for the planet and for the environment and for yourself. And that true happiness comes from uh, sources other than uh, yeah, products and services and comes from, from yourself, from what you do, from, from being active, from seeking social contacts, from learning, actually from things that don't cost money in the first place or don't have to cost a lot of money. And um, yeah, then after accepting that, you kind of, You know, have to get into the habit of doing more of the active things and seeking more of the uh, of these sources of happiness rather than than buying stuff. Nice one. And what I found so interesting, kind of, is like ugh, often in the media, frugal people or whatever are like portrayed as like jumping around hippies who eat green beans and like live on nothing, or like obviously those are stereotypes. But what you're saying, it is so logical. It makes so much sense. I mean, obviously, it has to resonate with you. And I mean, it definitely does with me. And I also definitely think with a lot of people in the Vi community as a principle of living and a way of doing things. Um, and one thing I would quickly uh, like to add as well, uh, what I always find really interesting kind of like about discussions in the Vi community is, um, in, you know, we are not the the right wing. I mean, not right wing, but like hardcore econ economists, like, okay, earn the most money, this and that and blah, blah, blah. It's not even that it's the funny thing is kind of like that kind of like all political and life faces and swears come together in it. And, and kind of my thought was, um, they all fit. It, it is not one thing or the other. They genuinely all fit in a certain way in there and not to go anywhere towards politics or whatever, but I just found that an interesting one, um, kind of like to add in as well. And, From there, what I wanted to ask as well, Fair, um, you know, from like, you know, say the bigger ticket items on somebody's budget or life. I mean, we obviously already mentioned a couple, but can you like mention like the top three, four things you would say 
okay, focus on these first from like you know, your transition to become either frugal or more frugal? What kind of, you know, like what, what is truly worth focusing on the most? Well, I think the, the most important thing is certainly getting more aware of where your money goes. Um, and I think out of 100 FI people, probably 99 will tell you the same thing uh, to track your expenses. I think this is such a core thing to do because it gives you this awareness and makes you think about um, how you spend your money. And this is the first and most important step in order to change your, change your spending or change your... Not, not necessarily changing in the first place because that will happen automatically, but just seeing, okay, wow, this is where I spent my money. And then seeing that if, if you accept, you know, what, or if you have, if you have uh, figured out like what really makes you happy and what is, what is important for you for a, for a life with a high quality of life, then you notice, okay, maybe my spending doesn't fit that very well or doesn't reflect that very well. So I spend a lot of money on, you know, passive consumption that just makes me happy on a very short term, but doesn't improve my long-term quality of life. And then just seeing that and noticing that might change your, your spending patterns already, or it might help changing it in the long run. So I think, you know, creating this awareness and um, having a good gut feeling about where your money goes. Because um, I think for many people, you know, money just goes in on their bank account at the beginning of the month, and then it just disappears uh, <laughs> over time, slowly but surely. Once and at the and at the end of the month, it's all depleted. That's all gone, and they wonder how oh, where did all the money go? And I think it's a it's very important to have a feeling where all this money goes um, in order to start living frugally and uh, saving money and transforming your attitude. And what helped me personally, it's not maybe a very important thing, but I, when I started my FI journey, at the same time, I became more environmentally aware. So for example, I watched the uh, short film, The Story of Stuff, or I read uh, a couple of books about the topic. Um, there's a German scientist, uh, Nico Pech, he wrote a book, Liberation from Excess, um, which is very good. And he writes about, you know, how we overuse the earth Earth's resources and um, how we destroy the environment by overconsumption. And becoming more aware of this really helped me not wanting to consume anymore because I felt, you know, I'm with everything I buy, um, I'm destroying the planet even more. And it's, it's pretty bad if I destroy the planning, planet without actually creating happiness out of it or making the world a better place. If I buy a new iPhone every year, um, you know, that... Uh, requires a lot of resources, a lot of energy to produce an iPhone. And, um, you know, I just step into that hedonic treadmill where I upgrade my iPhone every year, but it just feels normal and I don't get any happiness out of it anymore. So, yeah, just creating this environmental awareness also helped me, you know, reducing my want to consumption or, yeah, my, you know, my want to consume and buy, buy new products, buy services. You're creating the awareness. Um... And educating yourself to truly like actually make a choice and not just mindlessly buy whatever. But you obviously you have to be aware and know how things work or whether before you can truly make a choice. One quick note I wanted to make on um, the iPhone one you mentioned might not apply to every single country, but I do know in the UK, Netherlands and Germany, they've got, um, I mean, it's been trend, this trend has been going on for like a couple of years called repair cafes, where you can literally go and have electronics or phones repaired 
I used to repair phones for one of those back in uh, my hometown. And just literally people came in with an iPhone and I just simple basic things. Saw a time if their screen was broken, they either ordered one themselves, they brought it with them and I fixed it on the spot there. Uh, and through that, avoided them having to buy a new phone. You can obviously also just go to a store yourself and have it sorted, but then you pay 70, 80 euro. And for a lot of people, that's just not realistic to spend money-wise. But yeah, anyway, repair cafes, I really like them. And even in a really small village uh, where my girlfriend is from in Germany, they had one. There were like 25,000 people living in that village. And even there, they had a repair cafe. So I'm pretty sure you'll find loads around in Germany and in tons of places in Europe. And if not, start one yourself. Have you ever heard of those yourself, Oliver? Yes, I've heard of it. Um, I think there are pretty much repair cafes organized in every major city in Germany. That's right. And I think it's a, it's a good thing because also that um, is one big part of the frugal lifestyle. Repairing things yourself as a... You know, but it's, it's more broad. It's not just about repairing things yourself. It's about doing things yourself in general. So whenever you face a problem or you know something... Something where you would normally seek um, to buy a solution. Frugal people, they try to um, first try to solve the problem themselves. And I even gave that uh, concept a name. I call it the principle of non-buying. So, um, you know, in, in our Western society, we, we kind of created the habit of whatever comes up in our lives. Like we are bored, we want to experience something new, we have a problem, something broke. So whatever it is, we... The first thing we do is like we, we try to find a product that solves the, this problem or try to find a service that solves that problem without even analyzing the problem properly and thinking about alternatives to buying. And this is one of my principles. So whenever something comes up in my life where I not, would normally buy something, I try to find a, an alternative solution first. And then buying something is more like the, the last resort. It seems like a strategy that is supposed to save me money, but it's not. It's actually a strategy that's supposed to create a more versatile life. And, you know, because when you have more strategies to solving problems, you become, you become more independent, you become, you know, more of a, a, a maker yourself. You know, you learn new skills and you learn new things on the way. You become more creative because you try to find creative solutions to problems and so on. Rather than, you know, rather than being this person that throws money on whatever he or she encounters in their life. It's kind of building yourself a problem-solving toolkit and having, like, adding extra ways of fixing your problem different dimensions. And I, I really like that way of reasoning because, I mean, obviously we as the millennial generation, I mean, lots of us are good at fixing and making things, but in general, we're less good at than our parents. Um, less technically minded, like in terms of like hands-on things. And I mean, obviously those are stereotypes, but yeah, I mean, we as a generation, we got YouTube and tons of awesome ways to actually learn how to sort things. And, you know, I gave the example earlier of you know, how to fix phones, but it goes way beyond that. And, you know, there are obviously certain things I would outsource and ask, you know, hire a professional like plumbing or, um, you know, certain construction work, et cetera, which just goes beyond my ability to learn easily or is too dangerous to do myself. But you can probably do 60, 70% of repair and maintenance work yourself. And yeah, I guess that's, I mean, th that's kind of how it feels for me. What is your take? What would be like something you would hire somebody for? for do you have like one example of something you would always hire somebody for? 
Well, actually, not so much. Um, maybe, as you said, maybe for some house-related things, but I don't have a house. We, we live uh, in a rental apartment. Yeah, so normally my approach is whenever something happens, I first read about it and try to make uh, get an idea of what, what is right or what is wrong and how, how you should tackle this problem. Because even if, in the end, you hire somebody, it's always better if you, if you have some knowledge about the thing yourself, because then you you're able to see if somebody uh, wants to charge too much money for the thing or wants to do something that is unnecessary. Just to give you an example, my, my girlfriend's car once broke down, so the exhaust pipe broke. And normal people would probably just go to the, uh, to the, to the garage and just say, you know, uh, please have this fixed, thank you, just let me know how much it costs. And what we did was we um, took a look what you know about the, the the part number of the exhaust pipe, and we ordered a new one on eBay for forty euros. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't have the tools to um, remove the old one and fit the new one. Um, so we went to a garage to a repair shop and told the guy there, you know, we have the new exhaust pipe here, and this and that and that and that bolt needs to be removed, and then the new exhaust pipe needs to be fitted. So we, we told him exactly the steps he needed to do and we even brought the spare part. And he charged us, I think, like five pounds <laughs> for the work. How did he um, respond? Like, what the heck are you guys doing? Or uh, uh, Yeah, I think uh, he was maybe a little bit surprised, but I don't know. Uh, it was just my girlfriend alone who, who went there. So he might have even been surprised, like, you know, a young girl showing up <laughs> and telling him about what, what parts of the car needs to be changed. Um, but anyway, it's like the more you can do yourself about the, pro the process, the more you'll learn and the more money you will save as a side effect, even though you might have to pay somebody eventually in the end. But the more you can do yourself, the better it is. And that's why I think my general principle is to do as much as you can yourself. And even though in the end you say, okay, now I have to buy a part that I can't make myself or I can't find myself or I have to pay somebody to do some work, it's still better than just, you know, rather than, it's still better than not caring about the problem at all and just paying somebody right away and just throwing money on the problem to, to have it solved by somebody else. And on that note, I would say let's slowly uh, round up and jump to the final question. But I've got one more question of you. Actually, came from my co-host Matthias, who was unfortunately not able to join because he's spending his holiday uh, somewhere around the North Sea uh, in Germany with family, relaxing. And the internet connection is so well shitty that he's not able to join in uh, and get uh, join the recording. But um, he always kind of like comes up with the funny questions. But I'm just yeah, kind of his question is like. Do you kind of like judge or hate, no, not hate, but judge people who like buy random cappuccinos of three euro and like, you know, truly like waste resources and money like that? No, no, I'm, I'm not hating anyone because I think it's always hard to judge people if you don't know them or if you don't know their motives exactly. You know, sometimes you, you see um, somebody like in a, in a posh car, like a big BMW or, and you, you're very quickly you're very quick to judge, um, oh, why is this guy buying such a crappy car? But maybe he's like this super frugalist and it's just a company car. Um, you never know. And maybe somebody who goes to Starbucks buying lattes every day, um, maybe he's not a big spender, but the lattes are his only luxury. Um, so I'm always a bit careful about judging people too quickly. Um, and eventually what I, I don't want to, you know... Um, 
tell everyone like you have to change you have to live the same life as i do because who am i to judge and who am i to tell other people that my way of life is is a better one i just figure out for myself that um living the frugal way of life is leads to a better quality of life and i think this this might apply to many other people as well so what i try to say, what i try to do is just telling my story and telling people how i live and what principles they could apply for their own lives and um, if they do it and if they say well these principles are very good and i want to apply them to my own life that is very good and i'm happy and if they don't and if they tell me well i still want to you know drive my suv and buy lattes as many as i can okay <laughs> i can't change the world and uh, i uh, i can't change everyone and that is maybe good as well so I'm I'm very relaxed about if other people don't follow my lifestyle, but if they if they do, I'm I'm happy. Nice one, and yeah, in the end, you know, never go for the extremes. Go for the middle ground, um, and yeah, compromise instead of judgment. And hopefully, we will all live in a better, happier world in the end. So on that uh, final note, let's jump to the final questions. <laughs> Oliver, uh, just ask, where can um, listeners find you in terms of blog, Instagram, Twitter, if they want to learn more or about you? Well, yeah, my blog is on frugalisten.de. It's pretty easy to find if you type it in in your address bar in your browser. Um, I'm also on Facebook. I don't have Instagram or any of this stuff. I'm a little bit too old school for that still. Well, yeah, I think you'll find everything on my blog. So that's probably the easiest thing i also have a page there where i put in all sorts of interviews and you know youtube videos i've done stuff like that so if you don't only want to read about myself or maybe seeing uh, some tv shows where i've been a guest or reading or listening to some podcasts most of it is german of course because i write the blog in german and i'm active in the german fi community but i think there are yeah the the one or the other english interview as well just take a look on my on my blog and on the list of interviews. You'll you'll find some of them. Nice one. And at the same time, I think we've got quite a few Germans listening to this. And Google Translate is our friend. It's not too hard to translate the blog automatically uh, to English, and um, it does it actually. It does a pretty good job. I tested it earlier, and your articles are, I think, a really valuable research just to read through. And we'll definitely link to the frugalist.de um, in the show notes. And then to jump to the second final question, uh, what would be one resource not well known you would recommend? And this can be anything from one of your own articles uh, to uh, one of Mr. Money Moustache. What would be the one thing you would recommend people to read? Well, I think Mr. Money Moustache is probably very well known. Um, maybe one resource that not many people know. I started a, a series of blog posts about um, withdrawal strategies. Um, it's, it's, you know, something around the 4% rule that maybe people have heard, but I'm quite, I'm kind of digging a bit deeper into that topic and try to figure out, you know, where the 4% rule comes from and what other withdrawal strategies exist rather than just withdrawing a fixed amount of your portfolio every year. So basically I wrote about the question, like, how can you generate a steady income from a volatile stock portfolio? And one book that really inspired me and really I, I draw a lot of content and inspiration from was from Wade Pfau. He's an American researcher on retirement spending. <laughs> so actually the US people are a bit ahead of us Europeans in terms of uh, how, how you can uh, you know, fund your own retirement. 
And the book is called uh, How Much Can I Spend in Retirement? A Guide to Investment-Based Retirement Income Strategies. It's quite scientific and there's a lot of uh, graphs in there and statistics and so on. But um, I think it's one of the most underrated resources uh, in the FI community because many people just go like, you know, when I retire, I live off 4% of my income and they don't even have a, a really good idea what this 4% rule is all about and what it means and what side effects and what caveats it has. Or people are like, um, you know, I just going to spend my dividends because I don't want to, um, you know, draw down the, the main principle or something like that. So in terms of retirement strategies, especially in Europe, we are still in the very beginning and there's still a lot to learn. And I think this book is a great start or even my, my, my series of blog posts is a great start to dive more into this topic. Really like that one. And definitely, you know, we've seen the last years pretty, pretty volatile. And if you're going to rely for decades on your portfolio for income, it's almost irresponsible not to be aware of where the 4% rule comes from and just literally copy paste and go from there. Now, how can you ever make that choice if, you not are, if you're not educated and aware of, you know, what alternatives can be or how you could potentially, you know, make uh, it more um, stable and responsible and less volatile slash predictable on the long run by potentially easy approaches. And hey, I guess people have to read your articles to truly know. <laughs> anyway, so last question of uh, the day. What would be the number one actionable tip for somebody to get started on the path to find this can be anything like, you know, what do you kind of like consider the one thing? What's the one most freaking effective thing to do, um, you know, to reach five for, you, for yourself? Well, I think the, the, the first step would be to, to read, to read books and blogs of people who are already on the way to FI, who are already FI, um, and, and be inspired, get inspired, see what they do, how they manage to transform their attitude. Um, because this should be your goal, as I said, like not, not trying to cut your spending, but trying to transform your attitude towards life. And I think reading and getting inspired by other people is, is the best way you can do it. From my own experience, I read Mr. Money Mustache uh, when I discovered FI and I read most of his articles. And they really got me started on the topic. And I read the book, Your Money or Your Life. You probably know it. It's kind of the, you know, the, the, the founding book of the FI community. Um, and that really inspired me to, do, to track my expenses, um, not having a budget, but just tracking it, becoming more aware of my spending. So I think reading books and blogs or listening to podcasts or whatever your preferred format is, is the best thing you can do to start. Nice one. First, uh, build awareness and actually know what you're doing. I mean, I guess moral of the episode, educate yourself um, to like truly, uh, you know, get where you want to get to. But anyway, Oliver, thank you so much for coming on. I um, I find this pretty awesome and it's good to just have a bit of a change on the pure investment episode or case studies and, you know, have this as a topic. So I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, thank you, Alva. Thank you very much for being a guest here. Hey Matthias, do you think there are not enough financial independence Facebook groups yet? Yes, there's definitely a shortage in financial independence Facebook groups. That's why we want to create another one. And the real reason is that we want to get some feedback on our episodes to have a conversation with our listeners, um, to follow on the topics. And you might also have some questions around our content. 
gotcha. And also, we've been talking with more of you guys at meetups, on Reddit, in Facebook groups, the Fire Europe retreat, obviously, we organized. And this is, in the end, the main reason why we started the whole podcast project to talk to guys like you, uh, learn more from you, case studies, answer questions, and like hopefully all grow and learn from that together in the end and become stronger, smarter, and hopefully also richer people. So, you know, Matthias, say I'm interested in this. Where do I find this Facebook group? Yeah, just go to your Facebook app and type in FI Europe podcast or just click in our show notes. There's a link for the Facebook group or go to our website. There's also a link. So, yeah, just type in FI Europe podcast. See you in the group. Thank you guys for listening to this episode. We hope you learned something new and enjoyed the show. You can support us by doing this. Subscribing to your favorite podcast program and leaving us a review. Following us on Instagram and Twitter at Financial Independence Europe. Sending us an email with questions and feedback. We would love to hear from you. All the mentioned articles, books and cool resources can be found in the show notes at financial-independence.eu. Thank you for listening and see you next time.